Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Pandora podcast. I'm your one of your hosts, Dr. Kevin, and my other host is Dr. Katie. That is Dr. Katie, C-A-D-Y, not K-A-T-I-E. Uh, and we are here today to do our little spiel and talk about pain. Dr. Katie, it's always good to see you. Good to see you. All right. And what are we going to talk about today? Well, I think... Uh... Maybe we should just make it short and sweet and, and talk about maybe some of the things, maybe two or three things that each of us think that people really should know about pain or maybe things we used to think about pain and how we think about it now and how that really changes the landscape of what we do and how we do things. I think that sounds great. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um, you can shoot. Go ahead. I can shoot. All right. Well, I, I, I think that the the number one thing like the number one concept, if only if you had to have one big takeaway, and this is certainly not what I knew um, back then, but which I, I wish I had known back then, it would have made life a lot better, is to understand that pain is not about punishment or damage, but pain is always about protection. And that may seem a little bit crazy because people are like, well, I know I cut my finger and it hurts. And so it's telling me it's damaged. Well, actually what the pain's doing is telling you that there's something that you need to be protected from. You know, the difficulty is if you, if you equate pain as being the same thing as damage, then every time that you experience pain, you're expecting or alert, looking or worried about or trying to find something broken or diseased or cancer or something like that. But every single one of us has have examples of pain where we weren't physically damaged, that it could have very, very severe pain, but we weren't dying from it. You know, if you have headaches, do you really think that your brain is infarcting and, and dying every time you have a headache? Most of us would say, no, if I have a tension or stress headache, it's severe, it can be awful, it's not, ple it's not pleasant at all, um, but it doesn't mean that my head's gonna explode in actuality, it may feel that way. So the key then is just, well, what is it protecting you from? And so I, I think that is, if, if people just started shifting their mindset away from thinking that pain is all about damage, and instead just asking, well, what is this pain trying to protect me from? Uh, I, th I think that is probably one of the most important shifts when it comes to pain that people could have. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. In fact, uh, you know, something that um, I learned and you learned um, throughout our training and through fellowship is, you know, this idea of, of pinpointing physically on the body some pain generator and these words that are used that assume that pain is all existing right where you sense it on your body and uh, not really looking at this big picture of how pain is constructed from so many inputs and one of those inputs could be from the area that you perceive the pain to be located at and and so you know a lot of the things that we learned was that it was you know that spot you know, you inject it, you do things to it, you do cut it off or cut it out or whatever. And, and that is so far from the real picture of what pain's all about. And I, I wish people would uh, recognize that if you're having pain, like in your back, 
something that's non-specific, it's not causing any functional problems at all, that by just injecting it and it's numb, but then it comes, the pain comes back. And if I just wish people would understand that they need to think about what's being done and why it's being done. And you don't have to be a physician to recognize that, okay, this is not really fixing anything. If I've gone back for my 20th injection for numbing the area um, and to recognize there's a lot of ways to change that information that is coming to your brain where you are experiencing this pain, despite the fact you feel it in your back, that there could be a lot of things that could be contributing to it. So I, I think my biggest frustration throughout my training was just recognizing that people are not getting better. And in most cases, um, now they could be, but they may not need the injection. The whole point is that people, I wish people would really think about what's going on here. And if your pain keeps re coming right back, that maybe this is not the right approach and that we need to step back and look at the big picture. And I know at some point we'll probably go through some of that a little bit of training on understanding how pain can be constructed from so many things. Um, but I wish people would just understand that just injecting or, or doing things to that spot um, aren't not, they're not necessarily fixing things. And most of the things that we do in the pain world is not fixing it. And that's something I learned, you know, it wasn't making any sense throughout my training and especially after um, when we're really honest with ourselves and we really are looking what's going on instead of just grabbing onto hope and just doing anything possible to get rid of the pain. If we really think about what's going on, we'll actually be able to be honest to say that this is not doing the trick. This is not the way to go about it. And I just wish people wouldn't hit their heads against the wall 20, 30 times to figure that out or, you know, heaven forbid, a bad complication come from that. Um, I think that's where you, you know, Dr. Kevin and I both stand is that we don't want people to learn the hard way. Yeah, and I, and that's sort of a common sense thing, meaning if you, you know, tried to open the door with the door handle 42,000 times and it wasn't opening, you would probably try to do something different to get into the room. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when it comes to pain and pain care, people will say, well, let's try it 44, 45, 46, 47, 48 times over and over and over again. And it's, it's counterintuitive. And there, what, why is there reason, you know, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, one might be, uh, and we kind of talked about this off air a little bit, when you're, when you're in pain, the ability to, to think gets impaired. Not like, it doesn't mean you're stupid or ignorant or anything. What it means is that when you're in a lot of pain, it becomes difficult to concentrate and to think big picture. And everybody recognized that because if you're in horrible pain and someone says, let's talk about philosophy, you're not going to want to talk about philosophy because you hurt so bad. So you, it's very difficult to like be able to see big picture and say, well, I've already had this done three times, four times, 15 times or more in some scenarios. Um, the second part though, is there's the physician responsibility and how often are physicians saying, you know, because as I said, this is common sense and people are walking off and says, I already had that done. And what does the physician say? Well, it wasn't me who did it. And it's like, really? So you're so much different than everybody else that you're going to do the same exact procedure that somebody else did and that you're going to have, you know, tremendously different results from it. And so I guess, you know, it just comes down to is if, if it didn't work, stop. If not, if it didn't work, keep doing it over and over again. You know, there, there are things in life where effort becomes key 
and you really want to persist. But um, doing the same thing over and over again, you know, it's, it's the saying that everybody says it's Einstein, but actually it wasn't. Is you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And that's, and that's so true when it comes to pain because there's pain is insane. We keep doing the same things over and over again. You know, and unfortunately we see people, there are people who literally have had 29 surgeries mm -hmm. or more for pain. So it, it, that starts getting to a point where the surgeries are now to correct all the problems that were created with future surgeries or past surgeries. So anyway, don't do the same thing over and over and over again. Right, right. So you kind of reaffirmed my first point. Um, did you want to pipe in with the second thing you wish people would know um, about pain? Or? Well, I'll say, well, I'm going to reaffirm your second point on that one too, because you're, <laughs> because, you know, we, we will be talking, obviously, we have been talking about pain, um, but understanding all the inputs that are involved with pain. Right, there, people have this idea that pain oozes like pus out of structures is completely nonsense. Um, all the, there's electrical signals coming from your body to your brain, but there are many different electrical signals coming from your body to the brain, and the brain itself has a bunch of electrical signals that are involved with that. And it's the interpretation and taking all that different input and really, which, which is which pain is constructed from. So it's not oozing like pus. You know, you know me. I knew, I use the fire analogy that if pain's like fire. It has all these little pieces coming together. Um, and the the reason to think a little bit differently about pain is you know, to recognize that there's all these different inputs, not just one. Is because when we first start with, hey, pain is a protector, not a punisher. So what is it trying to protect me from? The second thing is pain is constructed from a bunch of inputs, not just one. So now there are many different threats to look at. And so that can be the physical threat. Is there a broken leg or not? But in the absence of a broken leg, you can have horribly severe, horribly uh, painful pain that's 100% real, but there isn't a broken leg associated with it. It just means there's other threats that are there. Is there, you know, the, the anxiety type of threats? Is there cognitive-based threats? Is there... Uh, uh, meaning-based threats? Are there distressful social relationships or financial stressors? There's the reason that your pain can flare in highly stressful events. There's a reason that all this stuff seems to happen at the same time that maybe you are in financial straits. That is a big threat. Um, and so when you start seeing that, that again, it, now, now it starts changing not only the, the relationship of pain, but then you can start seeing the major contributors that are involved. You know, one of the, my favorite stories was a, a family physician I did some work with and he emailed me really excitedly and he had seen a, a, I don't know if I told you the story, he'd seen a woman in his practice and she had a new onset of back pain and I think she was in her late 60s. He did the whole workup and then they couldn't figure out, she had the severe pain, they couldn't figure out what's going on. And so he started going, well, you know what, let me just talk to you about pain a little bit. And we tend to think of pain in this way, but actually it's like a fire and there's all these little inputs and we have to think about fuel and oxygen and heat. And uh, so what else is going on in your life? And he said, all of a sudden her eyes just kind of opened up and she, it was like this little light bulb went off and started looking about when did this start? And it started when her husband retired and her husband had been a workaholic and she had had the home, right? So that was her safe zone as her home and her abode. Well, her husband had retired and now he was in her home, which was a threat and he was driving her freaking nuts. And so the, her pain wasn't saying that my back is broken or damaged or I have a cancer tumor in it. It was saying there's something wrong here. There's some threat. And it just happens that her threat happened to be her spouse. 
Now, how do you treat that is going to be a lot different. You don't get back surgery because your spouse is driving you crazy. You probably have to actually address that spousal threat first. So um, it's just interesting because then you start returning this and you can start helping people think, well, what could it be protecting you from? What else was occurring when your pain started? You know, if, if it's like, it just came out of the blue. Well, what else was happening there? You know, did someone come into your life that that has been that has not been pleasant in the past it, you know is, you have a new boss is there other all these other things that are going on and we start looking and seeing those stress and people people can start seeing those once we kind of pull back the veil a little and just going to start getting that question get them to think about what else is happening in their life people can start identifying those threats pretty pretty quick yeah i think there's um that's a responsibility too on the physician i think it can be intimidating sometimes for a patient and i've heard this before that you know and actually, I've had a couple of patients say, like, well, I was thinking it could be related to this, but, you know, then they were kind of minimizing that, that it, it couldn't possibly be, you know, something like that. But when the physician or clinician, it's like gives them permission to explore those things, mm -hmm. it can open up a huge number of ideas that could be contributors. And I think that that's really helpful. And, and it's important for a patient to ask, do you think this could be related? Now that also runs in the risk of a clinician not appreciating that because in medical school, not a lot of training is there to understand that unless they have intuitively learned this through their life or additional training. Um, you know, and I was thinking of another point of things I wish people would recognize is obviously the, the Western medical system is you know, it's good about finding acute issues and, and dealing with emergencies and, and at least understanding the things that really need to be truly dealt with. Um, immediately, truly dealt imme with immediately. Immediately versus trying to convince you or sell you that you need something that you don't need uh, that's not really an emergency. Um, which, by the way, if you decline and they don't say you're, you know, leaving against medical advice, it probably was not an emergency. <laughs> that's, that's an excellent point, by the way. Yeah, yeah and so, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a point right there we should expand on, actually. So because sure. people may not know what that means, right? Yes. And what that what people will think like, you know, because bodies are so scary. Oh, my God, I need this. I need this. Well, the way that you tell a true emergency versus something that may that isn't an emergency is what your physician or whatever your healthcare provider does. Right? Because if they're like, you need back surgery right now. And, and then the next thing is really and they go, yeah, we can put you on the schedule in two weeks. You don't need that back surgery. <laughs> that is called an elective procedure. If the same token though, they say you need back surgery right now and we're going to take you back. And you're like, I don't want back surgery. I want to leave. And then they pull out, well, you need to send, sign this form that you're leaving against medical advice. In that possibility or that, that situation, there's a much, much higher chance that you actually need whatever is being done. Uh, Cause people, you know, physicians are risk averse. And if, or if you were, leaving and we really 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 think it needs to be done we're going to make you sign something saying that you are cognizant that we're saying that you absolutely positively need this so i, I think that is that was such a good point we we had to stop there because people are, well doctor says i need it well if if you if they're if they're waiting days to do it and certainly if they're going to wait weeks to do it then there's a there's a really good chance that you don't absolutely positively need it yeah, like an example of a true neurosurgery, like a surgical emergency is like, I just took care of patients who had some spine surgery. And when they are trying to take some pressure off the spinal cord, and they close this wound back up, and they leave a drain behind, which they leave behind so that they can prevent 
maybe some bleeding that could put pressure on the spinal cord or nerves. Um, if, if you did not have that drain and there was what they call a hematoma or a building up of blood and there's a lot of it and it puts pressure, I mean, literally you have, this, this is like, it's gonna happen today mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon as possible. And that's gonna help prevent you from being paralyzed um, from that pressure on, on the spinal cord. So that, that would definitely would be in a, against medical advice if you did not proceed. But, um, you know, being that if someone has pain and they've ruled out true emergency, that sometimes when you realize that pain is not necessarily this led to this and it's not clear cut and somehow this pain emerged over time at some point, that I think there's this, um, if people see pain as something to worry about when there's really no emergency involved and they, they are so concerned and keep thinking over and over again that this means something bad, despite how much intensity of the pain it is, if they don't see it as something to explore and to, um, in my case, I, when I have an, a flare of my back and I have some pain that emerges, I try to play with it. I try to understand it. I try to explore it. And that doesn't mean I minimize my experience. It's just, of course, I come from a medical background. I understand and appreciate how amazing, and, and not that you have to be a physician to understand how amazing the body is, but I know what's kind of like an emergency or not. And so it's easier for me to just go to that place of exploration and to ease into something like a different position, a different movement, um, talking to myself in a way that makes me not worry and feel threatened by this pain. And almost within minutes, I can make my pain better. Now, it doesn't mean it goes away. It may take a few days or a day or two, but I can put it back in that place. And usually what happens is I have better self-care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I try to take care of myself in better ways, um, get better sleep, eat better. I mean, all the good things for wellness. Um, but I wish, I wish people would understand that once you've evaluated and made sure that there's no acute emergency, a true emergency, not someone that sells it to you that it is emergent when it's not emergent, but I wish people would recognize that it's, it's okay to, sometimes we don't always have the answers, but it's, I wish people felt more comfortable exploring their pain. And I think that's just a valuable thing to know. And it's, it's not something you're taught like as a physician, this aspect, but you know, if I wasn't a physician and I didn't understand pain the way I did, I would be that person in the emergency room or seeing the primary care physician and having the injections and having the meds. I, I, I'm not joking. Like, I feel like it's the amount of concern and the amount of uncertainty is what's driving people to get so much done. No, I, I agree. And, I, and I, I think that comes from that fundamental misunderstanding of what pain is. Uh, because if you have that belief that pain equals damage or pain is something wrong, then by nature, then pain itself becomes a greater threat because now it's really scary. And now your mind goes all those up. But if you're like, well, pain is trying to protect me from something. And those some things can be many different things. It can be a horrible scenario, like I have new onset cancer, or it could be a funny scenario, like my spouse is driving me crazy. Uh, that, you know, that makes you, like you said, more curious about it. But the pain itself no longer is the threat per se. 
you know, it, it, it doesn't start feeding itself in this kind of downward spiral of it's getting worse, my pain's worse, it must be something even more horrible, it gets me something more horrible and things like that. So it's, it's really, it's just fun, so key to, to move away from this idea that pain equals damage. I don't even like that pain, um, you know, it's, pain is associated with something, you know, it's supposed to associate with threat. Uh, but it's not, it's not damage. And that, and like you're saying, it was like, well, you have back pain. Well, um, for my own self, you know, I, I, I get curious and have fun with my pain anyway. And when you have like my, my, it was the weirdest thing. So about a, about a year ago, I cook with a lot of cast, cast iron and I had a cast iron pan in the, in the oven on broil. And I reached in and grabbed it. And um, we have old, well, we bought new ones because we have these old oven mitts because I hate to throw anything out. And I remember grabbing it and pulled it out. And about halfway for me, bring it over to the stove. It was like, whoa, this is hot. This is super hot. And I remember I made this conscious decision at that time. I'm like, okay, this is really hot. Uh, something's happening here. But if I drop it, this stuff's going to go all over the floor. This is going to be a big mess. You know, what am I going to do? So I put it on the stove, made the room or whatever. But I ended up with, with uh, partial sickness burns all around my hand. And so, you know, like that burn, so it's, it just starts building and building and I put it under the water and, um, and I had, I've had burns in the past that hurt so bad for like an hour. In fact, a highly traumatic event when I was little, I was camping, I put my hand on a hot coal and I remember about a half hour after the fact, I was just weeping and how bad so it hurts. This thing hurt for 10 minutes. It was in, 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 it's like, it's not because it was, you know, some Superman thing. It wasn't because there was no burn because I mean, I literally had blisters all around it, but I really think the difference was, is like, oh yeah, that was stupid. It was funny. Oh, my pain is trying to protect me. Look, my, I got some burn here, but it's going to be okay because I've burned myself in the past and I recovered from it. And with, within literally 10, 10 minutes, there was no pain. I still had some sensory things, but, there, but I had no pain at all. And it was, I, I do think it's just because curiosity, I understand pain. I appreciate pain. I'm not scared of it. And it's, it's just knowing what all the potential threats are. So anyway, it's being curious and comfortable in your body's capacity to heal, I think is a, is another big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish people really truly understood just how I mean, literally, we're, our human species would be extinct without the phenomenal capacity of the body. I mean, there's, I mean, there's no way that, you know, your body is, you're not going to consciously drive a pH level of your blood and constantly regulate the hydrogen ions. And, you know, like, if you really, if the more you know about the body, the more you realize, holy cow, like, we, we cannot exist without its brilliance. And it's just, it's, we're trying to like understand pain and yet the brain, the brain we're using to try to understand pain is like just the output of the brain is trying to understand how it's made. And it's like, it's, it's almost, I think almost impossible to hundred percent. Like we are, we are all unique and, and there's just, we have all these combinations of factors affecting it and um, interacting in different ways and combinations. And, and it's just, if you step back and see that and, and, you know, don't let life put you in a tailspin, you can literally step back and recognize, wow. Like you can see, like even the way you just did it and you can see what's happening there and how pain is trying, 
you know, at least the information you're receiving, you're, it's trying to protect you. And, and so you're using that in a very, you know, cognitive way. <laughs> um, but a lot of people, um, there's so much going on in the stress and their lack of understanding of it that it's easy for them to let the, it get the best of them. Well, and, and we're also being continually told that our bodies are weak, pathetic things that, that need all this other extraneous junk in order to function. And, yeah. and we pick on the medical system a lot and we pick on pharmaceutical ads, but it's not just pharmaceutical ads. It's the, you know, it's, it's the stupid ads for back pain that tell you that oh, you've got bad posture. And so your spine is disintegrating and you need my, you need my posture fix, whatever device. I mean, it's totally bogus folks. Like if you actually look in the literature on posture and all this good stuff, it's, it's nonsense. Um, not to say that you want bad posture. I'm just saying that actually correlation between posture and pain is like non-existent in these I'm posture devices. Flexed, by the way. Huh? What? I'm flexed right now in my spine. <laughs> oh, you do all weird stuff, you know, but, um, but then I'm you got- like In one position, 24 hours a day and never give yourself any variety. I mean, that's yeah. my well, one rule. <laughs> yeah, you want to change, right? If yeah. you do anything for long periods of time, it's not good to stay in. If you sit on your butt for 24 hours away and don't move, you're going to get pressure sores. It's, yeah. it's like the, we like to move. The body is made to change. Yes. But um, it's, man, it's, it's such a, it's, it's a, it's a amazing healing machine. And, uh, and I do think it's a, it's been a disservice to society that we have, it's been sort of taught through commercials and even through doctors. I mean, we, how much of are so risk averse, we're scared to people, scared, scared to tell people that they're okay. I, I had an orthopedic surgeon tell me that I, cause I told about all the degenerative stuff and and you know changes my set joints all these little joints and all my discs and she's like oh you shouldn't run anymore i'm thinking to myself okay um well i'm gonna listen to my body <laughs> and i'm well, gonna i'm well, gonna slowly move into it but i'm not gonna like jar it all the time all day long but i'm still gonna i'm not gonna keep minimizing what i can do unless my body's telling me something like that and that's that so that's another one so we, we, we if now, just throwing out all the other stuff they're talking about, just looking at the research data, there is nothing that says you shouldn't run if you have back pain or knee pain. In fact, there's a wealth of information that says the best thing for your pain is to exercise. Mm -hmm. and, and people, well, I got arthritis. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Well, the, you know, if you look at the, Amer what is it? The American Room uh, Arthritis, whatever the arthritis organization is or whatever. And if you look at the, the number one evidence-based treatment for arthritis with people have associated pain with it, again, that's a whole different dis discussion, is movement. Yes. So how are you going to tell people your pain is, got, you, you have arthritis, which is wear and tear, and your pain pus is oozing from your wear and tear. And so yet the best treatment for it is to move, which logically speaking would then increase wear and tear which should increase your pain, but it actually makes it better. So there's a huge disconnect in this whole thing. And then the knee one, there was just a recent, you know, um, the, the, you know, how many people have been told that they can't run because of knee pain. And there is now at least, I have at least two studies. And there was another one that came, that came up and it was like moderate running in middle-aged individuals seems to be protective from the knee, not, not pain of the knee joint. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, we, uh, it sounds great for all this stuff that we say, but it's so much of it is based on nonsense. Well, I mean, there's a certain amount that you, you need a certain amount of movement or impact to create the resilience and the capacity to withstand that 
I mean, yes, there's a point where you could go excessive and hardcore and carrying 200 pounds on your back and jam, you know, I'm sure there's some point, but there is a window where mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't enter it and you do nothing, <laughs> you don't have the capacity nor the resilience within that joint who re it requires for lubrication and all these other things or movement. Yep, movement is good and it gets stronger through more movement. And then, and just like you were saying though, if you kind of, if you think about it as like a muscle, so you stress a muscle, you actually, this is gonna, don't wanna scare anybody, but if you're lifting weights, what you're actually doing is causing micro tears in those muscles, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is then you rest and recover and your body says, oh, this was stressed, let's make it stronger now. And then your muscles grow. It and is prepared the, for the next time. It is prepared for the next time. And it's the same thing, like everything in your body is almost the same way. You stress it a little, not, it's like baby bear, right? It's, it's Goldilocks therapy, not too much, not too little, just right. You stress it, then you back off, let it recover. Goldilocks gets some sleep, eats just some porridge, and then go back again. And now you, you know, you, you, you're a bigger bear. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's anyway. <laughs> It's a really good concept that you can apply to anything. And, and I have my own relatives that, you know, they, they do this therapy and training and then suddenly they stop and like, well, I'm going to start back up in January. I'm like, you're going to lose all the work you've been doing for the last three months. Like, do you, like, how do you not get that? Mm. I, I love you, but you are not, <laughs> you're not getting it. Um, anyway, so that, that could be yeah. frustrating, but yeah. Well, I got I got to call it short here, but um, we got some good points across. I think I, I think we did, and and folks, overall, I think the most important thing is just to remember that your body is strong. Uh, that's the biggest thing. It's a self healing machine. It's an amazing thing, and most of the time, we just need to get out of the way. And if we can't get out of the way, or if there's something really really bad, then it's really just kind of touching it up rather than overwhelming it. Um, and then some of that. Let me see if I remember this the stuff that we talked about. So. Pain is about protection, not punishment. You know, pain is about a, a, a many different inputs, not just one. Um, the body is a self-healing machine. So we stress it, relax it, and it grows. And, oh, and how do you know whether it's an emergency or not? Is if someone makes you sign papers saying they won't let you leave unless you have the procedure done. Other than that, if it's not that, then it's an elective procedure. Did I get them all? And if there's a strategy that someone's doing to you. Oh, yeah, yeah repeatedly doing it, then maybe that's not the right strategy. Now it's different if the strategy is something reliant on what you need to do and requires multiple efforts, such as mm -hmm. building up those biceps or something. Yeah. So yeah, rather than having someone, if someone's trying to move you and, and build up your muscle this way and they're grabbing your arm and doing this and you're not getting stronger, <laughs> maybe have them stop. But if it's you and you're not getting stronger, well, maybe you need to change the weight or do something different. I like that. That makes sense. Yes. But. Awesome. Well, another episode of the Pandora podcast. And until next time, Dr. Kevin and myself, Dr. Katie, will say be well till next time. Stay well, folks. Thank you for joining us today on the Pandora podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.